I want to share an extraordinary journey with you. Just before COVID-19 changed the world, I visited Australia and discovered that there's really no other country quite like it. There's something truly unique that links Aussies together, a shared spirit and attitude that's created their lifestyle. Beyond the beaches and barbecues, Australia is a land rich in culture, innovation and opportunity. Once travel becomes a reality again, it needs to be experienced to be fully understood. And I promise you, it's a place that will stay with you long after your visit. Join me as I explore. Australia, a country envied for its warm climate, beach-going lifestyle and world-class food and wine. It's a land of dramatic landscapes, from the bright copper hue of the red centre to the white sand and turquoise waters of its endless beaches to the rainbow of piercing colours found in its native flora. It offers cosmopolitan cities, relaxed coastal towns and outback communities where you can take yourself away from it all and be a hundred miles from anyone else. The rare privilege of a true escape. I'm Georgina Godwin, and for this series, Only in Australia, I visited every corner of Australia to explore the unique nature of Australian luxury travel and to meet some of the country's creative entrepreneurs and ecotourism pioneers. Aboriginal Australians have lived in Australia for more than 50,000 years, making theirs the world's oldest surviving continuous culture. Through tourism, Aboriginal Australians are now telling their dreamtime stories and sharing their traditions to new audiences through immersive experiences unique to Australia and its first people that offer precious insights into their ancient world and roles as custodians of the land. Multifaceted and imbued with ancient wisdom, Australia's Aboriginal people are warm, welcoming and extremely generous of spirit. Getting to know their approach to life may well be one of the richest travel experiences available. In this episode, I find out more about their 50,000-year history. This is where my grandmother was born, and the people here are known as the Gubriwara. They get the name Gubriwara through a big mountain and behind us here, and a, a creator spirit, Gubri was his name. He saved the people from this area from a flesh-eating spirit, from a flesh-eating demon. And so we call the people here Gubriwara because Gubri still stands in the mountain watching over the people below. Australian storytelling tradition has existed for generations in this country, stretching back to the origins of Aboriginal culture. Nungara is the dream time creation beings. They are always essential in our life of our Aboriginal men and women. They gave us our language, law and culture. Holidaymakers in Australia, through high-end travel experiences, are now able to have unprecedented access to and insight into this ancient culture, with increasing numbers of Aboriginal Australians embracing the tourism industry as an opportunity to tell their traditional stories and creation tales of Australia. We like nothing better than to share what we know about the land and to ask people to join us on that journey of protecting the land, because the land is our mother. 
Dale Tilbrook and her brother Lyle own and operate the Marlin Up Aboriginal Gallery, located in the Swan Valley in Western Australia. The family are descendants of the Wadandi Bibbulmun people from the Busselton Margaret River Augusta area. Dale explained the essence of Aboriginal culture to me. Well, it's the oldest surviving continuous culture in the world and every time dating methods get improved, our occupation here goes back and back and back. So we say 60,000 plus years that we have been here in Australia and in particular on the Swan Coastal Plain where we are today. So I think people often misunderstand Aboriginal culture and think that it's one homogenous type of thing across the country. It's certainly not, is it? We've got more than 250 main language groups and they're all like little countries in their own right. So we speak different languages. We speak up to 600 different languages here in Australia. We speak more than 100 languages in Western Australia alone. And here in the southwest, in what's called Noongar country or the Bibbulmun tribal group country, we speak 14 different languages. So we're not homogenous, but we live together really well. Somewhere along the line, our ancestors decided that we would be spiritually connected to a certain plot of land as individual groups. So we are spiritually connected to the land of our ancestors and we're not spiritually connected to our neighbour's land. So that stopped all the wars about land and border skirmishes. We simply don't have those. We, that's not in our living history. Now, the environmental message is as old as the civilization itself. Well, everything that we do is about the land and when we say the land, it includes the sea, it includes all the animals and all the plants, and it includes us, because we don't regard ourselves as any more important than anything else that exists alongside us. I'm really happy to always go out and talk about Australian native edibles and encourage people to think about sustainability in the future by growing more Australian native plants to eat, because... They belong here. To a certain extent, some have already been domesticated by Aboriginal people in the past. We had a grain belt that was bigger than the grain belt that now exists in Australia. Huge amounts of native grains were cultivated by Aboriginal people, and this is not widely known or acknowledged at all. Dale then took me for a walk in her garden. Is that an emu? Yes, we've got five emus here as well. So the emu eggs we were looking at earlier have been laid by these girls. And there's at least one male in there. But we don't let them hatch any more eggs because we don't need any more emus. But we collect all the eggs and we blow them. And my brother very kindly uh, offered you a glass of emu egg earlier. (laughs) So nothing gets wasted. We blow them so that we have the complete shell, but we also have the the emu egg to do what we want with, make beautiful omelettes. The emus are a huge hit with visitors. They just love to come here and feed them. And you can go in with them because they're very tame. They've grown up here, they were hatched here, so they've known nothing else. Dale's gallery means black swan. 
Yes, Malinup is the place of the black swan. Mali is our word for the swan. Once we would have styled ourselves as art, gifts and food, but now we style ourselves more as food, gifts and art because of that huge interest worldwide in food. And of course here we have our Australian native foods, our edibles, our bush tuckers. And I know that you're also very involved in the slow food movement. I am. The slow food movement works in very closely with the ethos of Aboriginal people towards food. You know, traditionally we would have only harvested or gathered the food that we were going to eat that day. So it was fresh, it was local, it was in season. That's not to say we didn't store food, but we would have stored things like wattle seed that have a really hard outer shell, so you don't have to treat them in any way to store them. You just have to put them in a, a safe, dry place, and you can keep them almost forever. And we've also got here, you know, things that keep us healthy and things which saved the lives of many early settlers, like our native spinach. The early settlers adopted all these methods quite happily and ate what we ate until they did establish their gardens. Once they had their own food sources sorted out, they sort of forgot about bush food. And so it's only now in Australia that everybody wants to be part of the bush food industry and everybody wants the sandalwood nuts or wattle seed or that native spinach or kondong. Marlinup showcases a wide range of contemporary Aboriginal art. Dot painting started in 1971 at Papunya Tula in Central Australia where some old men were asked to paint a wall first up and they painted Honey Ant Dreaming and it was just three circles joined together and decorated but it looked really attractive so they were given canvases and paint and asked to paint their stories. And after they'd completed their paintings, they all compared what they'd achieved and debated whether or not something might be too sacred to share with the entire world. And if it was deemed too sacred, they hid it in the painting by covering it up with dots. And so as not to draw attention to that particular part of the painting, they filled in all the blank spaces with dots. And of course, the overall effect was really great. So everybody filled in the blank spots with dots. And so a new art movement was born. I sometimes have a bit of a giggle to myself when people walk in and see the contemporary art and say to me, oh, you don't have any real Aboriginal art. <laughs> but I just regard this as an opportunity to educate and share. Finally, for, for visitors coming to Australia, as we've said, it's a deeply spiritual, cultural group, but it's not insular. We can share in that. We can be at Uluru. We can taste the amazing bush tucker foods. And I just really feel a sense of that, that spirituality crosses over. It does. I mean, we've always been a generous, sharing people. You know, shipwrecked sailors were taken into groups and absorbed into the groups, became part of groups. We didn't sort of slaughter them and chuck them on the barbecue, as happened in other places. They were looked after. And I guess that still that generosity of spirit still shines through today, despite all the bad things that might have happened in the past. We like nothing better than to share 
what we know about the land and to ask people to join us on that journey of protecting the land because the land is our mother. You know, the land beneath our feet is our mother and I think we share that with many other Indigenous peoples in the world. And, you know, join us in going forward to create a sustainable future. And spiritually, it's sometimes difficult to explain, but, you know, if you just go into the bush and sit with your back against a tree and then become one with the tree. You can go down through the roots, you can go up through the canopy and you're connected to the whole world. Well, I did go to the bush, taking a light aircraft to Kings Creek in Kings Canyon after my earlier visit to Uluru in Australia's Northern Territory. Landing, I headed off into the red dust to visit the Kark Aboriginal cultural experience. In front of you here is important bush tucker. These are the types of bush foods that our people gathered and survived on in Central Australia for thousands of years. And they are still eating My name is uh, Peter Abbott. I'm a Southern Arunda man, Pradam. I'm living here in the Wadarga region, which is my partner's family group's living area. They're descendants of the Luritja people. They have a living area inside the national park. We decided on how to preserve our language and also to share our culture. We wanted to get out of a hardship of living on a dependent on a Centrelink benefit, so we said we want to live on country, but Let's start our own business. So 2015, we started our own cultural tour. It's a one-hour cultural tour where we show is Aboriginal bush tucker, bush medicine, and a lot more. We'll show you in our rich Luritja and Southern Aranda, Pradam, Aboriginal traditional knowledge, in various displays, talks, the see it, feel it experience up close. We like our guests and visitors to really get up close and see on how our people lived in the past and how we are living today in the modern world but still continuing our ancient culture. Bush tucker, bush medicine and a lot more. Kark Aboriginal Cultural Experience and Tours. Kark is the name for our company. It means a western bowerbird in the Aranda language. The western bowerbird Kark is found here in the Wadarga region and central Australia. A lot of Aboriginal culture is secret. How do you guard that privacy while still allowing visitors an insight into what it is? All our Aboriginal people in Central Australia, we still practice and do our major ceremonies of secret and sacred. It's basically as our people, they leave our modern lifestyle and do these major ceremonies. It can be in secluded areas in the bush and how it was done in the past exactly. Once these major ceremonies are done by men and their women's business and their ceremonies, 
our people just celebrate their ancestors and go back to our modern life and living as ordinary Australians. We find it very hard to still maintain and do our culture, but we still are practicing our living culture as Aboriginal in our traditions, celebrating our multiple chukorba. Chukorba is a creation ancestral beings, and there are multiple that our men and women, Aboriginal people celebrate always at the end of the year. To the Aranda people in Alice Springs, in the Choricha, Western McDonald's, these creation beings are known as Alchera. Atnangara, creation ancestor. Atnangara is the Dreamtime creation beings. They are always essential in our life of our Aboriginal men and women. They gave us our language, law and culture. In the land areas, it's always spiritually charged with the energy of these creation ancestral beings. In all Aboriginal Australia, there's an invisible boundary line that's always governed and it was determined from the creation ancestral beings in their emerging sites and ending. And we as Aboriginal people can go so far, then we have to stop to a certain point. In the landscape, it can be in certain major ranges of hills, salt lakes, water holes, certain rocks and sites that are very significant. Those are the creation ancestral being sites for men or women. Our people would govern those important ones, maintain sites and do ceremonies, rituals. It's like a, a country in Europe with multiple boundary lines. So you could be in France in one area one day, travel 60 or 80 or 100 kilometers, then you're in another area where another Aboriginal group takes ownership. In a way, Central Australia has this invisible boundary line of Aboriginal groups or peoples, and they, they would always govern that area because they have these major songs, dance that are celebrated every year in the ceremonies. Palya. The word palya kept cropping up. I asked what it meant. In a language of Lurica, Yankunjara or Pitindara, this word palya, palya can be very multiple meaning and all positive. Palya can mean thank you, welcome, yes, nice, wonderful, lovely, okay, and multiple others. It's a very positive word. One word is palya. It's widely spoken in the region of Wararga, Uluru, Karajuda, far as Kalgoorlie in Western Australia and far as Port Augusta in South Australia by the desert Aboriginal people, Palya. Leaving the Northern Territory, I continued my voyage of discovery into the ancient Aboriginal way of life in Queensland, arriving in Port Douglas, Daintree, where the rainforest meets the reef, and I met my next guide. My name is Juan Walker. I'm a Gugyalanji man from the Mossman Daintree area in far north Queensland, and my Gugyalanji name is Garanba. We had a beautiful little beach just outside of Mossman in Port Douglas, known as Kuyu Beach. And Guguyalanji, we refer to it as Guyuguyu. And this is a very, very important fishing beach for the Gubriwara Guguyalanji peoples. And you've lived here almost your whole life? I was born in Mossman, grew up pretty much on this beachfront. My parents moved down here when I was three years old, 
So myself and my family, my brothers and cousins, spent our childhood years running around chasing seafood. So fish, crabs, mussels in the mangroves and just having a good old time running around in the salt water. And now you've made it into a business. Yep, so we're very fortunate up here that um, we're so close to Port Douglas and the Great Barrier Reef that we have hundreds of thousands of tourists visiting the area every year. So we've decided to teach people what we did as children. So taking people out in the country, teaching them what we did as children and sharing the knowledge that we learnt from our grandparents and you know from our people of, of this area. So yeah, you'll see just over here on the ground, some kids are down here last night having a little cook-up. And this is basically what we did as kids as well. We'd go for a walk down into the mangrove forest and go looking for these giant mud mussels, these big clams. Bring them back, make little fires, cook them on fires and then these things would pop open and then we'd have a nice little afternoon snack before we head home for dinner. Just over here, I just spotted it. There's a local medicine that we still use quite regularly, a green ant nest. So this little folded up bunch of leaves is an ant's nest. So you can see once you tap it, all the ants stir up and come out and you can eat these little ants. They taste like lemon. The little green ant, its abdomen, a little green backside there, is full of ascorbic acid, so vitamin C. So today we use these little fellows for cold and flu remedy. Rather than picking the ants off one by one like I just did, it's much easier to get a little container of salt water, crush the whole nest up with the ants and everything in a bowl of salt water. When it starts to change into a milky colour, drink the stuff, rub it on your chest, and this will help break down flus, colds, snotty noses, and sore, sore chests and coughs. It's extraordinary. <laughs> wow. You'll see some yellow flowers lying in the ground just here. This is a native hibiscus. Today hibiscus is used commonly in salads, garnishes and so on in restaurants. People just eat them as we travel. And it just helped your body hold water so you didn't get too much of a bad headache while you're running around on the beaches down here. It's also a calendar plant. So when you see this flower coming in the season, it'll float along up and down the rivers and you then know that the mullet are now feeding on this stuff so the certain type of fish is now full of fat. So it's a, also a good time of year to go and spear sea mullet up the rivers. This is really a, a unique area because it is where the Great Barrier Reef meets the Daintree Rainforest. Yep, so it's a, one of the most environmentally diverse ecosystems on the planet due to the fact that they're the, the Daintree Rainforest, um, one of the, the oldest surviving tract of rainforest in the world, and the Great Barrier Reef, the largest um, ecological wonder in the world, they come together here. So all of your different sea life, marine animals, just here, walking distance. And then we have all of the old types of rainforest plants just behind us as well. How safe is it in terms of, I mean, I know that there are some pretty big sharks out there and crocodiles. Just tell me about who you're sharing this habitat with. Yeah, we have all of those animals, so sharks, crocodiles, different snakes. But yeah, nothing to be scared of. Up here, it's all about using common sense. Um, we know where the crocs are, so we just stay away from where we know there's crocs, especially when we have our visitors with us. Sharks, crocs, to tell you the truth, you're more likely to get killed by a falling coconut or struck by lightning. We're quite close to the forest, but not much evidence of bird life down here. No, once, once it gets too hot, so after around 10 o'clock, 
the birds move to the fresh water. So they go upriver um, where it's cooler, in the shade, and, and they'll, you'll hear them playing around up in the forest. Yeah, down on the beach, too hot now, so yeah, they're like the Spanish, they go and siesta when it gets too hot. It was too hot for humans, too, so, like the birds, we also took refuge in the rainforest. We've just travelled upriver from the beach to Jinigolmo, it's uh, along the Mossman River, just downstream from the Mossman Gorge, at the end of the Mossman Gorge. But this area here, a very special spot. This is where my grandmother was born. And the people here are known as the Guburiwara. They get the name Guburiwara through a big mountain in behind us here. And the creator spirit, Guburi was his name. He saved the people from this area from a flesh-eating spirit, from a flesh-eating demon. And so we call the people here Guburiwara because Guburi still stands in the mountain watching over the people below. And it's an amazing mountain. You can very, very clearly see him. And you can see that the, the animals that he called to save the people also turned to stone very clearly on that mountain. That's right. So that, that's our story. Most of our creation stories here come from the land formations and mountains. So it's, this is probably the, the best one to explain to people because it is quite well known, of course, but it's very visible to the eye. So you can actually see all the different rock formations, the animals, and Gubadi himself standing up there watching over the people. Now, what I find really interesting is Gubri actually begins with a K when you write it. That's right, yeah. So our language was phonetically written by the Lutheran missionaries up in Woodjol in Bloomfield. So when they wrote our language, you know, it's Lutheran church. So Ks are pronounced like a G. U's are pronounced like double O, U. I is pronounced E. And A is pronounced ah, like A-H, like auntie. And two R's, when you have two R's together, you have to roll the R's. R, so... The way they've written it is a little difficult to read to get the right pronunciation. The missionaries were responsible for more than the written language. Juan continued his own family story, telling me about the forceful relocation of his grandmother. She was yeah, born in mid to late 1920s, um, lived here till she was 9, 10 years of age, roughly. And then the church came to save us. So when the church arrived, they wanted to convert all the people, so they came down to the camps here and grabbed all the young girls and took the young girls to the reserve, to the mission. They got them then to wear clothes and speak English, and they trained the girls as servants for local settlers. But then parents wanted to be with their kids, so many of the parents moved to the mission as well. Once they moved out of this area, the forest was cleared out, so the people had nothing to come back to. So today when you look around, it's chocolate farm, papaya farm, but no rainforest. So no rainforest, no animals here, nothing for the people to eat. So the people had nothing to return to. So they stayed at the reserve up the road and made that their new home. Having said that, looking in this direction, of course, there is still rainforest and it's absolutely teeming with life. So lots of birds, yeah. So you can hear the birds here because it's much cooler. You've got the fresh water here, so it's much, much cooler. So the birds come up and spend the days in the rainforest when it's hot, looking for insects, of course, hanging around for water as well. But yeah, lots of life still in the rainforest. Could you swim in this water? Yeah. Yeah, perfectly good for swimming. This is, you could drink this water. Yeah, no crocs, no sharks. There's nothing really going to bite you in here. You might get little bull rats underneath the logs and stuff. You might have little stonefish. But as long as you stay from the logs and leafy things and you're just out amongst the rocks laughing. I come down here with my kids, have a little swim every now and then. And yeah, beautiful, pristine, fresh water. Arguably, you know, the third or fifth cleanest water in the country. 
we're now at the most southern end of the Daintree National Park. The Daintree Rainforest is the oldest surviving tractor rainforest anywhere on the planet. Very ancient. When most people come here, you know, all they see is a complex wall of green. But for our people, it was everything. Medicine chest, tool shed, hardware store, church, all in one. Perfect place to live. We headed back into town as my Australian odyssey drew to a close. Now, you've just taken me on the most amazing tour around here. We've been down to the beach, we've seen what people eat, we've seen various shells and what comes out of them. We've seen where crocodiles have come from the estuary to the sea. We've then gone up to the rainforest. And what's really interesting is that this is an area which attracts a huge amount of tourists. We saw no one. That's right. It's a very busy place nowadays. Um, one of the sort of highlighted areas that must see to do when you come to Australia. So yeah, it does get very busy. Where we take people, these are all of our little secret places and areas that we utilised when we were kids. And still today, these places, you know, very small numbers of people get to see where we take people. So yeah, it's a great way to see the country, see the area without those large numbers of people that you'd get on a big group tour. And you tell us, of course, your own stories as well as the myths and legends and creation stories about your people. So yeah, the creation stories are really good to give people an insight into our connection to land. So the creation stories give people an understanding of how our people believed everything came to be traditionally. But then we also give our personal stories of just our experiences growing up. And of course that's fun that anybody who comes out with you can have. It's been the most peaceful and sublime experience. Yeah, it's a, it's a very special spot up there. Majestic is pretty much the word to put it. You know, some of the cleanest water in the world and you have that beautiful rainforest growing either side of that river. So, yeah, I, I'm, it's a, a magic place. It is a magic place. Not just the Daintree, but the entire country. This is a journey that has left me awestruck by the beauty of the nation, humbled by its ancient traditions, grateful for its immense hospitality, and several pounds heavier from its sublime food and wine, but mostly longing to return. My name's Georgina Godwin, and thank you for listening to Only in Australia. This podcast was brought to you in partnership with Tourism Australia. To find out more about some of the luxury experiences I've mentioned, head to australia.com. This series was edited by Nora Hull and Jack Jewers and produced and presented by me, Georgina Godwin, for Monocle 24, in association with Tourism Australia. <laughs>